UAV. This is episode 439. And if I sound a little bit weird, it's because I'm recording this uh, uh, on an iPad sitting in my car. I went on vacation this week, forgot to bring my microphone with me. Uh, this week on the show, we're talking about Maya, M-Y-R, Tony's Deep Dive, and it's also our large cap stock of the week. Been a great one for me. I've owned it for a while. We're also talking about Michael Hill Jewel, MHJ. It's our small cap stock of the week. Tony talks about what's going on with live cattle futures at the moment and some stocks that may benefit from that. We're talking about FMG uh, and why it's our challenger buy this week. A little bit about Apollo Tourism, my old nemesis, and their recent price increase. Why Midway was back on our list this week and whether or not it actually should have been. Why we sold off the banks last week, uh, including Commonwealth Bank, which was at an all-time high, and I found that pretty hard to swallow. Uh, let's get into it. It's uh, QAV 439, Tony, Monday the 27th of September 2021. What's going on in your world, buddy? Oh, I had to stop and think because there's not much going on in lockdown, that's for sure. <laughs> Oh, God, no. Come on. You're almost out of lockdown now. You can do stuff. You can go out. The numbers are down. Gladys is celebrating. Yeah, it's looking better, but we're not going to be out until November, I don't think. Is she doing press conferences uh, this week or has she given up like she said she was going to? I don't know. She said she was going to give up and I think she fronted a press conference every day since, so maybe she's taking a break. I don't know. Well, a lot to talk about today. Coming up a little mm-hmm. bit later on, we've got Brett Fisher, the inventor of the Bredelator, who's coming on to talk us through the Bredelator. The hard-to-write Bredelator. I like the name, mm. but it's a little bit clumsy to type it. I, I might have to change the name <laughs> to something else, <laughs> which is a shame because I like Bredelator. People have been enjoying that this week. I've been getting lots of good feedback. Everyone really loves it as a tool, so that's great. Well done to you and Brett for putting that together. Oh, it's all Brett. Well, you helped with some of the thinking. No, it's all Brett. He did the code thinking. Before I forget, this is particularly to our QAV Club members, every now and again, if you want to do us a favour, share the latest episode on Facebook. Let people know. Not that I want to tell you what to do or what to say, but if you just want to go, hey, this is a really great investing podcast that I like and... Cameron's very handsome and Tony's very smart and the combination of the two works really well. You could write that, uh, but I don't want to lead the witnesses. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> something like that. That would that'd help. Let people know about us. Do us a favour. Get the, get, help spread the word. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think most of our new members come from word of mouth, so it would be good if people could do that. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, uh, let's get stuck into the stock picks of the week, Tony. Something a little bit different. Want to talk about your small cap stock of the week? What do you like this week? I like the retailers this week, Cam. Michael Hill Jewelers and Maya are my two picks of the week. And I thought I'd do a pulled pork on Maya. So get ready if you own it. You may need to sell given the curse that's been happening. Oh, well, I do own it, so let's let's not do. do Yeah, let's not do that. It's been good. It's up like ninety percent <laughs> since I bought into Maya. Oh, good. Don't jinx it on me, TK. Well, I prepared Maya, so I'm going to go ahead with it. Sorry. I think I also have Michael Hill Jeweler, so I don't I don't have <laughs> anywhere to turn this week. All right, which one do you want to talk about first, Maya? Yeah, I'm going to do a stock of the week on Maya. That's what okay. I prepped for. All right. Yeah. Okay, go. So stock of the week, Maya. Uh, most people will be familiar with it especially Australians. 
First thing I wanted to call out was that Maya has a January to July reporting period. So just be aware of that. The figures have just come into Stock Doctor in the last week. And the reason for that is that uh, retailers don't like having to rule off their financial years at Christmas time. That just puts too much burden on the business. So they leave it till January to uh, get through Christmas and then get all the numbers together. So a bit unusual, but that's that's what they are. The share price that I'm using is 63.5 cents, which was the share price yesterday, being Sunday 26th of September. And that's the basis for all the numbers I'm talking about here. The health of the company is quite good, strong and steady. So strong financial health and stock doctor. And it's been strong for a while, which I find quite interesting because, you know, Meyer is is a bit of a turnaround story. It, it flatlined, it was a falling knife for a long time and it flatlined and now it's on its way back under new management. So it's surprising that it's got strong financial health, but I guess that shows the strength of the underlying business. ROE is high for this kind of business, again, 25%. Not that that feeds into our calculations, but I know some people monitor it. But the big driver for us is this is a value play. It's, it's price to operating cash flow is 1.9 times, which is very low, and its P is 10 times which is funnily enough, not a record low PE score. So it doesn't get a score for that in our manually entered data, but it's still um, a pretty good price to be paying for uh, you know, a business with was about 500 million market cap and well-known brand and quite a high turnover. So $1.6 million traded on average each day, which makes it a, a fairly um, decent size for people who want to invest. The other thing I noticed when I was going through this was uh, that the prices has uh, increased over the last six months by 76%. So it's really turned itself around. I think this is the first half where it's been profitable for a while. But it does have, I'll call out some of the negatives, it does have negative net tangible assets. We tend to focus on net equity per share and call that book value, which is only slightly above zero, so slightly positive. I think I haven't drilled down into that in any sort of big detail, but I think it's probably due to the fact that Maya have sold off all of property. So it did used to own its big flagship stores in Sydney and Melbourne, potentially in Brisbane. And over the years, it's been selling those off whenever it's needed cash. Its net assets is, is obviously declined quite a bit. What else can I say about it? It's greater than its, the share price is currently greater than IV1. Uh, intrinsic value number one, which is 32 cents per share, but less than IV2, which is 97 cents per share. But it's not higher than two times IV2. So we don't get a, a score for that. It's also greater than its book value plus 30%. So no score for that. And its forecast earnings per share is to decrease by 5%. So it doesn't get a growth score for us as well. This is certainly not a quality type company. It's got chance the chance of being it again, and it has been in the past, but not at the moment. The next thing I wanted to talk about with Meyer is directors holding. So the current board hold around 2% of shares. So it doesn't have a founder holder, which is not surprising given that Meyer's been around for such a long time. And Sydney Meyer was the founder holder who passed away quite a while ago. The interesting thing though is that Solomon Liu, who was a, a retail heavyweight, Premier Investments amongst other uh, companies, he has a 10% stake or 10% plus stake in my now. And I guess the question that begs the question, what will happen with that? Will there be a takeover? My thought is I don't see one coming near term anyway. And that's a prediction, so I could be proved wrong tomorrow. But if he was going to take over the company, why wouldn't he buy it out at 30 cents a share and not uh, its current share price, which is you know more twice what it was in the past? I think he'll be patient. He has a history of 
sitting on boards and agitating for change, or sorry, sitting on company holdings and agitating for change. He doesn't have a board seat yet. One of the things he's been agitating for, which is being resisted by the current board. I think we're sort of going through a phase where Mr. Lewis tried to take over the company by stealth, by criticising management until he gets some seats on the board. I think that might possibly be coming to a close, given that the current management has kicked some goals now and the share price is re-rating. But, but who knows? He may be forced to launch a takeover quickly or he may sit there for years as he did with uh, his shareholding in Country Road, which he held for 10 to 15 years and then made all his money back when the takeover offer came from a South African retailer who bought out Country Road from memory. And they actually, I think, took it over up to something like the high 80s in terms of the percent that they took over, but Solomon Lewis stuck, uh, sat on his shares and, and blocked the complete takeover. And eventually the South Africans got uh, or had enough of that and wanted to consolidate the PL into their own balance sheet. And so they, they bought him out at a very high price. So he may also be playing that game. I, I don't know, but it was worth uh, exploring a little bit. So all up, the quality score for Myra is 36%. The QAV score is 0.19, which is not overly high, but for uh, this kind of larger cap, it's it's, um, it's high up on the buy list. And uh, it's definitely more a value situation than a quality stock. And that's Maya. Yeah, well, thank God for Solly Lou. That's all I can say. He <laughs> He's helped those of us that have owned Meyer out in the last few months, it's been great. What's it? Was he? Uh, did he ever run Meyer? What was his background? He had his own company and bought in or something. What? What's his yeah, history um, with Meyer? He took it over. So he, he was a rag trader in Melbourne. Yeah, and then eventually took over Meyer, and then eventually engineered the merger with Coles to become Coles Meyer. Right. And then for a while, he was the chairman of Coles Meyer, and then there were ructions about related party transactions and corporate governance around being a, a big supplier to Maya and then uh, but also being chairman of Maya and whether it was in the best interest of shareholders etc right so he stayed on the board of Coles Maya and stepped down as chair and uh, yeah they basically engineered the takeover of Coles Maya by first of all KKR the big american takeover firm and eventually West Farmer. So it was a big bidding war, which kicked off my uh, my share portfolio big time because I had options that tripled in value during the last couple of weeks of the takeover. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's the large cap. And the small cap stock this week was Michael Hill Jewelers, MHJ. Yeah. I haven't another, prepared a pulled pork on them. That's enough. Yeah. Another well-known retailer, though. Yeah, Michael Hill Jewelers. People will know of them. Hmm. New Zealand-based originally, hmm. and then owner-founder is obviously there with them because Michael Hill is still involved on the board hmm. and, as far as I know, still holds a chunk of the company, but he has handed over the reins to a, a, a to an independent CEO. Hmm. I want to say independent, a new CEO, who's expanded the company. Um, Michael Hill himself expanded into Australia. In fact, I used to live near him. He was, back when I was working for Shell and, and living in Brisbane, I was living in a, some apartments in Dockside and he was... He was a couple of apartments over from me, so I used to see him about the place. And he was quite well known because he fronted all the advertising for Michael Hill Jewelers, all the TV commercials. Right. Hmm. Covered in bling? No, he wasn't. No. <laughs> Just sells, no, sells no, the no. bling, doesn't wear the Sells bling. the bling, that's right, yeah. All right, well, people uh, might want to check out those two stocks this week, MHJ, which I think had a QAV score of 0.35 this week, and Meyer with a QAV score of 0.19. 
All right. Well, let's move on with the notes. Tony, live cattle futures. What do you What do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So there's a company on our buy list called Wellard. I think it's WLD from memory is the code. And they got into a lot of trouble because they they're essentially a, a live cattle exporter from Australia overseas. They got into a lot of trouble when they were exporting cattle to the Middle East and it was shut down. I think by the Gillard government, but maybe more recently than that as well, or maybe it was only recently lifted after being shut down by the Gillard government due to uh, protests about uh, the unsavoury conditions that the cattle were being shipped in. Wellard has since, I think, pivoted to being still involved in that industry, but I think they don't own the ships anymore, they lease them. I could have that wrong, but that was, that was my take on it. But what I found when I was going through the commodities available for us to to graph that there is one on live cattle and it's just become a three-point trend line buy. So I suspect that might bode well for, for Wellard, which is uh, back on our buy list. They had a qualified audit last year and it had a good QAV score but wasn't on the buy list, but it came on just recently. God, I remember talking to some farmers a couple of years ago about that whole live cattle exporting thing and a lot of anger, a lot of conspiracy theories in the uh, farming community over that. Yeah. Trying to tell me it was a big conspiracy between the prepackaged meat industry and the live beef export industry and the Gillard government was all in on it because uh, they're a bunch of labour ratbags and they shut it all down. It was, it was really fascinating. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it could be. Who knows? But um, yeah. it was, yeah, it was certainly a very polarizing time all right let's talk about our old friends fmg yeah so someone asked the question i think it was last week or recently anyway about uh, am i still doing my top 20 stocks download and then uh, looking at their the current share price and the biggest difference to the future iv mm. and i did one last week i'd like to do them when reporting seasons come to an end and funnily enough the Biggest gap was now FMG, which it has been for the last uh, year or so, I think. Mm. And Rio, I think, was the stock before that. So Iron playing a big part mm. in that, even though I think people are generally now downgrading their forecasts for earnings per share for Fortescue Metals. It's still coming up as the biggest gap to IV2 at the moment. Right. So that would be your one of your challenger strategies. Yeah, that's right. That was the step on the uh, investment ladder. It's a good midway point between uh, becoming an index investor and moving on to being your own investor. If you can start to have, you know, reasons to favour or value one stock over another, that's an important mm. step to make. Mm. And if new listeners want to know more about the thinking behind that, you can go to the Bible if you're a QAV Club member and read up on it in the investment ladder section in the Bible. And there's some uh, other podcasts we've done in the past where you'll be able to listen to Tony talk more about that. Yep. Terremoto, ter, uh, Tony. Terremoto. Ter- earthquake. Mm. <laughs> like the 1980s film mm. that brought, brought, brought sense around into cinemas where mm. they shake, shook the seats. Mm. Yeah, there was an, people would know there was an earthquake in Mansfield last week, but we felt it up here in the Sky Palace. Really? Uh, in Sydney. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I think about 9, 9.30 in the morning, we were, Judy and I were both sitting working and then she jumped up and said, did you feel that? And I said, yeah. And we sort of shook side to side a few centimetres for about 30 seconds, but it was quite noticeable. And then 
like about a second later, we get a text from Alex, Dad, there's been an earthquake in Melbourne. Oh. It was like, yeah, in Sydney too. <laughs> I was talking to our Italian coach on Friday afternoon who's down in Melbourne, an Italian guy, and uh, we were talking about the earthquake. That's why I know it's terremoto, earth motion in Italian, terremoto. Right. And he was like, yeah, oh, you Australians, that was nothing. We get like <laughs> In Italy, you just, you know, you wake up and there's like an earthquake and there's seven points and you go, eh, yeah, whatever, go back to sleep. <laughs> he said, but his flatmates were all scared. He was like, eh, it's nothing. Yeah. Very blase. About Alex it. said she was bounced around in the bedroom, so it must have been something. Wow. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I saw some of the footage down there, like, you know, there's quite a little bit of damage to some buildings. Yeah. Not used to well, it. Speaking of earthquakes in Italy, have you caught up with that series right around the world yet? No. With Richard E. Grant? Oh, it's excellent. Yeah. So good. But he did a – it's a series where he goes to parts of Europe, Richard E. Grant, the actor, takes a whole heap of books with him, not travel books, but books that were written and set in that area, and then mm. uh, finds local people who can – who know about the book and can take him through the local area with reference to – scenes from the book or, or important places the author visited. And I think episode two, maybe, was on uh, Pompeii. Mm, and Pliny. The, the Richard Harris book about Pompeii. Oh, mm. right. Not talking about yeah. Pliny the Elder's uh, death there. Did that come up? They did. They did. Mm. I think they touched on that, but it was mainly about Richard Harris. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, great series if anyone um, is looking for something to watch. I think I interviewed Richard Harris. We had him on the Caesar show, you I did. think. did. Yeah. Mm. That's right, yeah. Nice guy. So let's talk about Excel's CAGA formula. Yeah, so we've been talking about valuing portfolios and I happened to come across the formula in Excel which does the compound growth formula in a very simple way and it's called RRI. So Romeo, Romeo, India. And you just plug in the period you want to, to, to value and the starting value of the portfolio and the end value and it works out the compound growth rate for you very quickly. Hmm. So we can do that as an alternative to this thing that the Nevexa guys are doing, the A-Y-I. Yeah, correct. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that at the end of the month and just see how it compares. You've, yeah, good. You've been uh, doing some cool stuff in Excel with this stock history function that it has. You want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, so I guess I've been uh, – you know, motivated by Brett's good work in the Brettolator spreadsheet. And in his spreadsheet, he has color-coded the stock price if it's lower than the closing price for the prior month, which tells us it's a Juliet, um, at least for the current jo- month. Josephine. A Josephine, sorry, a Juliet. A Josephine, thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to have to find something to call a Juliet. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> the challenge has been laid down, yep. It's, this is like learning a new language, isn't it? We have to publish a translation guide. We do. It's called the Bible. Right. So <laughs> what I did was in, in Excel, so spreadsheets written in Google Finance, but in Excel there's a similar formula called Stock History and it gives you the current price and, it, and you can also code in for other things like the closing price from the prior month. So, yeah, so I put that into Excel onto the buy list sheet and it's a bit – uh, I'm, I'm not that familiar with the formula, but the way I had to do it was just copy the codes from column A into a separate column and then change their data format to be stock history and or stocks, I think, and then use the stock history formula on those codes. 
and you get you can calculate for the whole buyers quickly what where the Josephines are mm. based on the current share price and the closing share price from last month. I tried to implement it in the Flipman model this morning and I got stuck and I was spending too much time on it, so I gave up, but I'm going to beg Andrew to have a look at it. An Excel guru like Andrew will probably know a way to streamline that whole um, exercise. Yeah. yeah, it's a great idea. I'm sure. Yeah, hmm. so that, that's good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, well, I started to try and also then do a five-year graph based on that because you can get five years' worth of, monthly closing end prices from that stock history function. But like you, I ran out of time. So, Mm. again, someone might listen to this and know exactly how to do it, but I'll fiddle around with it and see if we can do it based on Brett's formulas and the stock history data. Yeah. One of our very smart club members who are Excel gurus will know how to do this. Yeah. Let's talk about ATL. Oh, I just threw this in here because uh, we often have bad news about ATL. But the curse might be broken because the share price went up quite a bit last week. Yeah. It's not broken. No, as no. soon as we buy it, it'll go down. Yeah. Anyway, I still think it's a <laughs> it's an aggressive buy at the moment, given that it's based on the premise of everything reopening for COVID, but we'll see. <laughs> you just put it in there to upset me. I know. No, no. Speaking of things that are back up, I noticed MWI was in the scorecard this morning. We took them off the list a week or two ago because you said the lumber commodity mm-hmm. Price broken through its sell line, but it's back up. Why is lumber back up? Don't know. I haven't seen it. So the lumber underlying is or midway? Well, both. Midway we had as a commodity sell a week or yeah. two ago. We talked about it. Then it was back on your list today. I thought you must have gone in and checked no, no, that the commodity was a mistake, price. I think. Well, no. I went and checked the commodity price, and it has gone back up. Really? Is it, yeah. Is it a buy? Cool. Well, it's yeah. I think so. It's gone above its sell line. I think so. It's Picked back up, yeah. I thought you might be able to tell me why lumber's back up all of a sudden. Don't know, but it's been jumping around a lot lately. Got really expensive in uh, post-COVID, mainly because of problems in getting lumber from overseas. Right. And uh, and residential property prices are just going through the roof, so people are renovating their places a lot more. So uh, that could be the reason. But, yeah, it did drop off again just recently. Hmm. Well, I was looking at Lumber's future, LB hash, mm-hmm. taking yep. March 2020 as the low point and then I guess taking August 21 as the as L2. I've got October 2020 as L2. Oh, you're going, okay, gotcha, sorry. Yeah. Well, it's got a new trough now to the right. Yeah, but I think using October as the last time, excuse me, it was a sell before the current buy. Right. But then it would have a new buy, right? Well, no, I was going to say, so if you use L2, if you use October 2020 as L2, that would give you a sell around about June 21. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how would you draw draw a new buy line with an H2 coming after that? Yeah, so I'm using the H1 as the highest point of April 2021. Yep. And then H2 is May 2021. Right. And it sort of hasn't quite crossed that, you don't think? No. And it's a bit hard to tell in Stock Doctor. It looks like that is going to cross around 700, maybe 720, but it's the current price is 643. Right. And so what I would normally do is you could certainly use the L1, L2 as the lowest and next lowest 
which is fair, and so it's above the sell line, but it hasn't crossed the buy line yet. So it's what what Brett and I have been coding into the bread line, what Brett's been coding, but I've been we've been debating is if you use buy line follows a sell line iteration, and you go back to L two as October twenty twenty. L2 only moves then down to August 2021 after the buy line crosses the, or the share graph, the share graph crosses the buy line. So that's kind of how it would unfold. It, it won't make much difference in this case because it's it's a sell, it's been a sell. It's not a buy until it's a buy again, if that makes sense. Yeah, until it crosses over. Okay. Yeah. So it probably shouldn't have been on the list this morning then. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at it now. It's still. It's still maybe $60, I think, below its buy. Right. It will be. By the time the show goes out, it'll be up, I'm sure. But uh-huh. We'll be good. We'll be safe. Speaking of things at an all-time high, we, we sold off the banks last week, including Commonwealth Bank that was at an all-time high. That, that was tough. Well, yeah, it was tough. Rules are rules. And we went through and had a look at the share price, deducted the dividend, adding back the franking credit, and uh, it was a sell. By the way, you know, it's back in back to being a buy today, this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking to uh, I was speaking to one of our club members uh, last week, uh, late last week, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm not selling. I'm just, I'm, I'm holding those. That's bullshit. I'm just gonna <laughs> hold on because that's coming back. I'm pretty sure." Yeah. Well, look, I think that's wise. I mean, I think this is one of those examples again of the relatively steep upturn in price, but also a steep sell line. And it's been all the way up. It's been crossing over and coming back, back into you know from buy to sell by crossing the sell line. So it's, it's probably not a bad thing to um, to do that. And also too, I think dividend season has uh, dropped it back below the sell line. It's now coming back above the buy line as the dividend flows through the system. Well, it gutted my super portfolio last week selling the banks because the banks were about half of my super portfolio, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I've been struggling to replace them too. Well, now you can sell. You can buy back Commonwealth Bank. Hey, well, there's a hundred dollars in brokerage <laughs> that I didn't need. Okay, that was fun. Uh, oh, speaking of, oh, uh, look, I mean, I don't want to make light. It's, I don't want to make too much light of it. It's a, it's an issue with the three point trend line. Like, yeah, I think you need to be flexible during dividend season. But it was, I think we, I sold mine coming off the two percent drop in the share market last Monday when the Commonwealth Bank price went way below its sell line, which could be a case of selling. Low, but I still made a profit. If I need to, I can buy back in. So yeah, apart from the fact I paid a bit of commission, I'll pay a bit of CGT going forward. Yeah, it's uh, I can buy back in now, which is is still good. But rules are rules. Rules are rules. I mean, that, that's another good point, Camp. You reminded me of some of the other stocks that have gone this way, and I'm thinking of Super Cheap Auto, and uh, it also has a steep buy line followed being closely tracked by a steep sell line. But when it did cross back, it, it kept on going. And I'll just call it SUL as the code for super cheap auto. And kind of was the one that got away there for a while. But uh, if you look at it now, it's come back off its peak and it's a, definitely a sell. And that's you know the way that CBA was heading last week. It's turned around again though, which I think is good if people held it. The other one that also kind of follows this, this pattern is Nick Scarly. NCK was only on the buy list for about a minute during the year, wasn't on for very long. One of those ones that comes on as 0.1 and then disappears again quickly as the share price keeps going up. And again, it sort of, you know, traced up, uh, its sell line traced up the share price graph and then crossed and recrossed and it became a sell and a buy and a sell and a buy. But the last one, 
you know, it crossed and it just kept going down. So even though CBA has gone back up, it, it, that's one out of three for these three which have followed that same kind of picture. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, that's the way I figure it. It's like you're going to win some, going to lose some with these calls, but hopefully over the long haul, you know, we get more right than we get wrong when we obey the rules. Correct. Yeah, and that cell line's there to um, stop us from taking heavy losses. Yeah, that's right. You've got to keep your QAV moist by uh, <laughs> following the recipe. If you don't and it ends up crunchy, well, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of everything's on you, do your own own (laughs) research. Yeah, exactly. Make your own mind up. Yeah. Speaking of do your own research and us screwing up, KRM last week was a Josephine, as a whole bunch of people picked up very quickly on Facebook when I said it was the stock of the week. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Thank you for that. I I don't know what happened there. All I can say is that I think it may have been, I did the analysis on the weekend, it may have been a flat compared to the week before. Oh, sorry, closing month before, but yeah, definitely a Josephine, so good pickup. <laughs> the thing that amused me kind of about it is we spent a good couple of hours that morning debating <laughs> all the Josephines in the buy list. The yeah. one we missed was the stock of the week, so there you go. Yeah. Well, that's the free episode for this week. If you're brand new, you should know that we have a free episode and a premium episode each week, the club edition. It goes for about an extra hour. Uh, this week in the club edition, we talked about using spark lines and Excel stock history to help determine uh, Josephines. We talked about discounting one-off cash flow events. We talked about getting back into commodity sales, investing in businesses with mostly intangible assets, how to tell if Stock Doctor has the latest financial figures, how to handle tax time, and how to measure Tony's results by after-tax returns. And we had a guest, QAV Club member Brett Fisher, who is the inventor of the Brettolator tool that we launched last week. If you're interested in checking out QAV Club, just go to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the free two-week trial. With that, hope you had a great week. Good luck with your investing and we'll be back next week. Cheers. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.